0: Seated. Before we go to the word of the Lord, we're going to go again to the Lord and ask for his help on his word this morning. Father, we do ask that as we read from the scriptures, as the word is ministered to us today, as it's preached, that, and also as we receive it, and then as we respond to it, both here as we praise you and as we go out from this place to Carry out the Christian lives you've called us to live. We pray that in all of these things your spirit would be at work in us uh, so that you might be exalted. The focus would be found on Christ and that that may be so, Father, not only what's delivered here, but also in how we respond to it. So may you accept our prayers for the sake of Jesus. We pray. Amen. We're going to be taking a look this morning at Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, or excuse me, 1 through 12, and we're looking at that passage uh, because we, if you're visiting here, we've been looking at some different passages in the gospel, particularly in Matthew and in Mark about the rejection of Jesus Christ, and we've been doing that in anticipation of our celebration church has done for quite some time, Uh, the celebration of the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection on Good Friday and Easter in the weeks to come, and time's getting closer to us all the time, but we're going to be taking a look then at this is the last of those passages that we're looking at, next week is uh, Palm Sunday and then the week after that we celebrate Easter, So we're going to be taking a look at this portion yet in anticipation of Good Friday and Easter from Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Uh, It's called the Parable of the Tenants in the ESV Bibles. It's page 1078 in the Pew Bibles. Here's what God's word says to us there. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit. For the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head. And treated him shamefully, and he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others. Some they beat, and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. We thank the Lord for this portion of his word. And pray it may indeed be a blessing to us today. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we uh, are starting to find that the seasons are turning from winter to spring. Uh, we have this bit of expectation in the air. One of the places where we find it is when we look around at the, uh, the landscapes around our home, plants that we're expecting to come back after a, a dormant and a hard, long winter. And if for some reason... Uh, when the weather turns mild for good, uh, that our plants fail to bud and and they fail to blossom and they fail to green up again, and we've seen some of that here, and even last year we had some of that going on, Uh, we'll most likely take our remedy uh, one way or another to see to it that, that they'll begin to perk up again, otherwise we'll dig them out and we'll just start afresh and come up with some other ideas for our landscape. Well, we see similarity in a similarity to this uh a measure in which God deals with his human race in this passage that we're looking at. When we think about and and to look at this and to put it close to home, uh, that that God deals that way with people that belong to him in covenant the sovereign lord of his vineyard expects, not surprisingly, to find fruit uh, provided from his vineyard. And when he doesn't, he seeks to fix that problem. He, he makes remedy. But the one thing, or in one way or the other, that, that fruitfulness is going to be Provided. Because in God's sovereignty, in his plans, he's going to be honored, as will his son. And it's going to be according to his sovereign plan. We're reminded of that calling ourselves in this passage to that kind of fruitfulness, the honor of God, the reverence of him, and the respect of his son. We see this in this passage that speaks so much to the rejection, as you see it, as you read through it, it reads so much about the rejection of the sovereign Lord of the vineyard and his son. But it doesn't end there, of course. It ends with the final vindication and the honor of the Lord and that of his son. So this morning we're focusing on this sovereign owner of the vineyard, or this sovereign Lord of the vineyard, who, if you look through the passage uh, that's before you, you'll see that he's re- he's repeatedly rejected. He's ultimately rejected in his son. But then he's finally vindicated in accordance with his sovereign plan. And that to his praise and that to the honor of his son. And we could see this as a parable as we're looking at this. You could see this as kind of a history of what has happened prior to Christ's coming, and you see that in the repeated rejection. You see it in the time of Christ's coming, where you find that the Son is sent by the owner of the vineyard. And then you can see the time following Christ's coming, as the owner of the vineyard gets vindicated. So you can see past, present, future in this passage also, as we look at repeated rejection, ultimate rejection, and then, of course, final vindication. So we look, first of all, at the repeated rejection. And you see that in the passage that's in front of you. You, you can see how that's going on. Uh, some of these people are killed. Some of these people are beaten. But there's this repeated rejection that takes place. Now, this parable is one that reminds us, if you, were to, if you wanted to take a look at this at, a, at another point, You can go back and look at Isaiah 5, where you see a short parable there, uh, where God is also speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he speaks about a parable of God's vineyard. And he says in that passage that the, the covenant people of God in the Old Testament, the house of Israel, the men of Judah, as it's put, is the vineyard. And as he's uh, planting that vineyard in Canaan, he's looking for grapes, and he ends up getting wild grapes. They're not what he wanted. And then, of course, what happens, of course, there's exile that takes place, there's judgment that takes place, and and, and a lot of Isaiah speaks to, towards that. Well, this is an updated revision of that parable where Jesus speaks about the rejected Uh, the rejection of the Lord in a repeated manner, the repeated rejection of the Lord of the vineyard. And and the repeated rejection is one where God is looking for fruit from those who work in his vineyard, and yet every time he comes to get a a measure of that, he gets rejected. And, And this has to be a history lesson there, as we look at this, of the covenant nation of Israel. And you know that if you know your Old Testament at all. If you read through the Old Testament, uh, you see repeatedly in her history how God sends prophets. She calls; She's called by the prophets to turn from their fruitless ways of unbelief and impenitence and to turn back to the covenant of God, to turn back to the God of the covenant, whom they were called to see as their Savior, were serving. And then repeatedly, of course, uh, though the Lord in mercy kept coming back to them to call them to to himself, uh, they were a people that were ever hearing because the prophets were always coming and these people weren't listening and they were ever seeing, but they were never understanding. So whenever the prophets came, That was the reason why they came. If everything was well, then prophets wouldn't have to come to contend for the Lord's honor. But as with the servants who come to the vineyard looking for the fruitfulness of faith, all that the prophets ever find uh, is this destructive nature of unbelief, rejection of God's word, that leads to death and destruction. What we call the cultural mandate in Genesis 1 uh, calls humanity to produce life and to be fruitful, right? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. To be productive in the world, to be fruitful unto God, That's the calling of humanity, right? An unbelieving world doesn't get that. Unbelieving world wants to make that point that that human human beings by themselves, in and of themselves, are are fruitless. They're leeches to Mother Earth, as they would put. But that's not how God called us to be. He called us to be productive. He called called us to be fruitful. He called us to be assets, not liabilities. We don't get up in the morning to serve the Lord with the idea that we're going to be a liability to him and to his earth. Sinfulness and unbelief look at it that way. Sinfulness and unbelief are not productive. They're not fruitful. They're destructive. They're fruitless. And that path will lead to death. And that, and that in, is true. You know, you leave sinful man to himself and man chooses the destructive road of disobedience and unbelief and then wonders why, as it seeks to disobey the Lord and not follow in his way, why his life is complicated. Why his life doesn't result in a a fruitful way of life. Well, in the case that our passage describes, we see the history lesson of Israel that Jesus is teaching us who have rejected the authority of Jesus Christ. So that's what Jesus is up against here. That's his audience. They fail to see, as we saw in times past, right, through the book of Mark. We saw it last time when we were looking at this last Sunday morning, right, when they were in Nazareth, these people who should have known him better see what he does, and see what he says, and says, he's just the son of Mary, not the son of God. Well, Jesus is still dealing with this, of those who have rejected what he's done, rejected what he says, as having come from the authority of his Father in heaven, who declares him to be his beloved Son. Now, not not, not that all within Israel had bowed the knee to Baal in the days leading up to Christ. Of course not. God even said that, right? He says, I've got 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. But you look at the history of what happens in Israel and you see how, how many actually did. There's a splitting of the kingdom. There's the exile to Assyria. There's the exile to Babylon. And those things weren't done unjustly by God. And, and they weren't disconnected from an unbelieving and rejecting spirit that was in contrast to the, and in response to God's long-suffering, repeated, proclamations in calling people away from the foolishness of fruitlessness to the fruitfulness of faith. This repeated rejection is is an anticipation to what would occur in Jesus' day. And whether it was in those days of repeated counsel under God's covenant, or even today, right, The repeated call to people under God's covenant banner is one to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And to turn from the fruitless deeds of darkness, like the scriptures would say, and turn to God to be saved, and then walking in his ways in Christ Jesus. Repeated pleas to to turn from waywardness. That's that's not an expression of hatred or, or, or or. meant to be of an annoyance that people keep doing that. People, church leaders or parents or people who care about people that they see going the other way, the wrong way. A good friend doesn't want to see somebody get steered the wrong way. You're going to say something about it if you care. And and that's what happens if you care about those who are wayward. There's repeated pleas to... To turn away from that. Because you just don't want them going that way. It's not right. It's not good for them. No, it's an expression of pastoral love and and long-suffering and and patience for those that one would pray. Would come to see their fruitless and destructive ways. And then to turn to Christ and say, you know, Christ will forgive you for that. And not only that, now you can, you can be bearing the fruit of the Spirit in due season. Ours is not to follow the pattern of, of repeated rejection, uh, but to be providers of the fruitfulness uh, to which God calls us. Isn't that, I mean, it's a marvelous way to live. That's really how our sermon's going to conclude, by talking about It's marvelous in our eyes. It's a blessing to be able to get out, go out in the world in faith, and seek to be productive, fruitful people for the Lord. That's a great, I mean, what what greater motivation do you have to get up in the morning than that? To have faith in Christ and then also heed the calling to be fruitful so he can see, uh, as you know what he's done for you, he can see what you're seeking to do for him in light of his grace. Well, that repeated rejection, of course, is in the past led to the present time and the ultimate rejection in Mark chapter 12 because we read that the Lord of the vineyard or the owner of the vineyard decides he's going to finally say after all these repeated rejections, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play my trump card. I'm going to play my strongest card that I have with the idea that if I send my beloved son, they'll hear him. They'll respect him. They... He sees this beloved son as the one who ought to be respected for his relationship to the Lord of the vineyard because he's the heir of the vineyard. And so if you respect the owner of the vineyard, you're certainly going to respect the beloved son that he sent. That's his mentality. But of course, we read that while the servants understand that he is the heir, they get that. They figure if they can get him out of the way, then the inheritance is going to be there. Now that's a bit of odd reasoning if you think about it, but because why would the Lord of the vineyard bestow the inheritance upon the ruffian? And maybe the the reasoning was that if the Lord would die or the owner of the vineyard would die, you know, there would be nobody else left to receive the inheritance. It's interesting also, I think you to take note, is that there's only two other places in the book of Mark that we read of a son, or of the son being the beloved son. We see it here, this is my beloved son. The only other two places you see it is in Mark 1, where it says, in the baptism of Jesus, this is my beloved son, hear him. In Mark chapter nine, or who is well pleased, and then in Mark chapter nine, we see it in the transfiguration, right? So you see it in the beginning of Christ's ministry, as at his baptism. Then you then you see this transfiguration, where you have the testified endorsement of the heavenly Father by the beloved Son, and now you have it here. He ought to be hurt. He ought to be respected. Here in Mark 12 is the third time that Mark brings this up. It's the father's, it's the paternal testimony of who Jesus is. He's the heir of everything. And if you have any respect for me, then you need to have respect for him. This is a triple testimony. And that's the truth of it coming from God himself. And that respect and that reverence is the exact opposite that's happening here. In this setting of the parable and in the reality of Jesus' time, of course. He's not being respected for the authority that he carries. Neither he nor his father who authorized him is revered. Now, now that there are there has Not that there's, there's been any reason to reject him, right? There's no reason not to marvel at him. God has so testified about him by his own word. He's been proclaimed by the last prophet of the Old Testament, John the Baptist, who himself has been rejected by the powers that be, and Jesus himself, has testified to his unique relationship to the Father by what he's done and what he said. And there again, you've got a triple testimony. You got the Father's testimony, you got John the Baptist's testimony, and you got Jesus' testimony. And by those three testimonies, the truth has been told and confirmed. So what are we supposed to conclude in Jesus' coming then? That it is nonsense for the people to reject it. It's nonsense to be blase about Christ. It's nonsense to just give a token response to him. It's nonsense to yawn your way through the worship of him and to live your life with Jesus as an afterthought. That's nonsense. It only makes sense to revere him and the Lord who sent him. When you hear about Jesus, when I hear about Jesus, it should be marvelous to hear him always accepting him especially made sense for the covenant people of God in Jesus' time and the leadership of the people who should have known better because they were hearing about the Bible all the time. And the problem, again, as we saw in Mark 6, was not not with the proof. The problem was with stone-hard, blasé hearts of people. And they think that in rejecting Christ, or maybe even worse, milk toasting about Christ, being lukewarm about him, that an inheritance would be kept for them. Because they were the covenant people of God after. All. And they thought, well, we're gonna have this land in which we live. Now ironically, this was a parable that Christ's enemies of unbelief and irreverence understood. They knew that. They perceived that they were speaking about him. That he was speaking about them, I should say. Which is ironic, right? Because all the other types of parable they didn't get. But they got this one. Except it didn't lead to a marvel. It didn't lead to a kind of faithful reverence of God and his Christ that would have shown a reverent penitence and that would led to people saying, isn't this marvelous, this man, this God, this Savior, this King? Now, the only fear they had was a fear of the people because they wanted to get rid of us. They didn't have a fear of God, they had a fear of the people. They should have had a fear of what God would do in judgment for the rejection. Instead, they only had fear for people. And all the while, these servants sought inheritance by killing the son, and they didn't realize that true inheritance could only come through the death of this son and revering him for it, not rejecting him by it. The cross is the ultimate rejection of God. And yet, yet the cross is the ultimate reason why and under the sovereign plans of God, why there is an elect people of God who doesn't reject the people he graciously has called him Christ. Even today, the rejection of Jesus is the ultimate rejection. People today will speak about believing in a God, or many gods, or some kind of God, but unless this beloved Son of God is trusted and confessed and revered and marveled in, there's no relationship with the Father, there's no inheritance for us, there's no future, there's no hope on which to build our lives fruitfully. We won't have fruitful lives. When we reject the Son, if we're blasé about the Son, we reject the Father. We're blasé about the Father. And all we inherit is doom and destruction for time and eternity. And we see that in the final vindication. The sovereign Lord of the vineyard. Our last point. According to the passage, others will receive the vineyard. Others will be called to fruitful living for the Lord. But those who rejected the Lord are going to be destroyed. Here's what is going to happen in the final vindication. God and his Christ are going to be honored in the end, whether people reject him or not. And in the days of Christ's death and resurrection, uh, in the aftermath of that, Jerusalem and her temple Got destroyed in AD seven for the rejection of Christ. Now we just sang in Psalm one twenty five. You remember? You know, Psalm one twenty five says, "As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so does the Lord surround His people, both now and forevermore." Well, not in AD seven. didn't because they had rejected Christ. And the prediction of that judgment should have moved them to a fear of God and his son, a reverent, faithful, marveled fear. And instead, the only fear they know is the fear of the people. That's all they can have. They they feared people more than God and his son. As part of God's vindication, others will receive the vineyard. Others will receive the inheritance. The covenant of God's grace expands according to God's plans as a blessing to the nation. And you know, that kind of stuff still goes on. It's just a little bit of a tangent off of this, but it's to the point. I was thinking about how, you know, you, you look in Africa, for instance, and you see some people there in certain denominations, and they're very, very conservative, and people want to call those people third world nations, and they want to call, you know, Europe and the United States. We're all first we're first world, right? We're civilized. Who's the civilized people now? It, it, it's there, there's people in Africa who look at the word of God and they say, You people in, in, in these liberal churches and in these liberal countries and and you 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 do what's right in your own eyes, and then they want to look down at these people back here and say, Well, you people aren't just You're just not enlightened. God's giving the vineyard to someone else to be fruitful. We were talking about this while I was on vacation with my family. Years ago, there was a pastor that we knew that uh, had said, you know, there's going to come a day when people in Africa are going to start sending missionaries to Europe and to the United States because those people have rejected Christ. You see that happening, right? Because when people reject Christ, God says, I'm going to give it to another. We're a very blessed people, though, if we see with reverence and joy how marvelous the saving plans of God really are. Christ is rejected to the cross and yet exalted to resurrection. We are a blessed people if we see with reverence that that's all part of the plans of God. Isn't it great when we can see through faith in God's testimony that we too have been given the privilege of life, wherever you're sitting right now, that you could sit there and you could ponder the greatness that you have when you can see through faith in God's testimony that you have been given the privilege to know life and to be fruitful in God's kingdom and in his vineyard. Wherever you're going after this place, you can do that. You can be that. You can know that. You can bear the fruit of God's spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You can be branches of the vine. You're connected to the everlasting temple that God builds in his beloved son. That's never destroyed. And that we get to be beneficiaries of of God's eternal inheritance that never spoils, perishes, fades, because it's kept in heaven for us. And we get to praise him for those plans for us. And you get to go wherever you get to go. And you can live fruitfully in his vineyard. Isn't that great? The Bible says it is. The stone they rejected has become the capstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. What great plans of the sovereign Lord! They're marvelous in our eyes. I hope they're marvelous in yours. <coughs> Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing, as is your Son. You deserve our respect, our reverence. You don't deserve milk toast. You don't deserve us to be blase. You don't deserve us to be indifferent, to yawn our way through life because we've heard it all before. You deserve our praise eager to give it. And when we think about what Christ has come to accomplish, that we as sinful humanity wanted to use to destroy it, it's marvelous what you've done. You've exalted the one that was rejected. And what a blessing when in our lives of faith we might be able to say, this is the Lord's doing. The Lord's in charge. Our God is great. Our God reigns. God saved us through that cross. What a marvel. To be able to live fruitfully every day for for you. Not empty, fruitless, useless, death and destructive ways, but to live productively, to be fruitful and multiply. What a blessing, Father. It's marvelous in our eyes. May it be so for us, dear Father, every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.